What's up everybody? It's Dan Greer with Leading from the Middle of the Pack. And today we're going to be talking all about culture change. And I'm going to go deep into how we took a company that was um, almost about ready to lose their operating authority. So that means they couldn't run their trucks anymore. And um, how they were one of the worst in the nation. They were only 3% of companies were better than they were or were worse than they were in the entire nation to be in one of the top 3% of the nation. So Keep theme song. We'll be right back in just a second. The big question is this. How are leaders like us, who aren't necessarily in a management position, who go out and get our hands dirty, who are ready to answer their calling from God to lead, who are driven to learn and grow, gain the trust and respect of those around us, to actually be heard while not coming across as an authoritative prick? These are the questions, and this is the podcast that will give you the answers. Hi, my name is Dan Greer, and welcome to Leading from the Middle of the Pack. Sweet, so glad you guys are still here. Well, today we get to talk a lot about something I'm super excited about, and that's called changing culture. And it's also about, like, I'm going to give you guys my framework on how to change culture. And not only that, we're going to talk about how I help to change culture in a company. Notice I didn't say how I change the culture, but I said how I help to change it, because Changing culture is not something that one person does. It's something that it takes a group of people to really change culture, and it takes a, cre- a creative movement in order to make it happen. And um, we're going to get into some of the key tactics that I use in order to make that happen. And also, uh, I kind of want to give you guys some analogies that I love using and everything, and, and, and just the way that I teach it really helps. And so, I, but if you don't mind, I'd like to rewind for a minute and kind of go back to talking a little bit about this company that I was working for. So, I was working for them in a different part, a different position for them at the time, and they were—they had just gone through an audit with federal DOT. And uh, once they got done with their audit, they they called me in about 20 days after the audit, and I said, "Hey, man, how'd your guys' audit go?" And they go, "Well, it could have gone better." And I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty normal. Auditors always have to find something, right? Like, hard lever does an auditor leave, and there's no violations. At least you guys got away from having any." like major violations, right? And they go, no, we got some major violations. And I was like, okay, well, um, anything I can do to help? (laughs) And I remember the president of the company looked me square in the eye and he goes, yeah, Dan, there is. And I said, what's that? He goes, you can take over this mess and fix it because I don't have time to worry about it. I've got a business to run that's $100 million business and I really need to focus on the business. Can you fix this? Well, I said, uh, can I give you an answer tomorrow? Can I go home and talk to my wife? <laughs> he said, yeah, but uh, I expect you in my office tomorrow at 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. Give me an answer. He said, otherwise, uh, i got to find somebody else who can do this. And I said, okay. And I could tell that he was, you know, a little despairing. They had the other guy who was in there before me. They'd left him in there for, you know, 45 days to get this fixed, and nothing had happened. No changes had been made in 45 days, and then, you know, they gave him 90 days to the federal government gave them 90 days to fix the problem. So I went home and I uh, started talking to my wife a little bit about it. And I said, I don't know what it entails. I said, but I feel like I'm supposed to take this. I said, it might mean I have to travel. It might mean it's going to be a complete change from what I've been doing. It's not going to be anywhere near it. It's going to be completely different. And uh, and she looked me square in the eye and she goes, if you feel like this is where you're called to go, then you got to take it and we'll deal with whatever comes. So I went back in the next morning at 7 a.m. I was in there. I was waiting for him. He, he was there well before 7, as any good business owner always is, up up at the crack of dawn working on their business. But anyways, um, 
I'm, I walked into his office right at 7 o'clock, and I said, hey, man, I thought long and hard about it, and uh, you got to make me one promise. And he goes, what's that? And I said, if I take this position, you can't fire me if I don't make it to where it needs to be right away. you got to give me a chance. He's, he looks me square in the eye and goes, I can't make that promise, Dan. <laughs> if we don't get out of this pickle, we can't run trucks. They gave us 90 days to fix the situation. We've got 45 days down. I need somebody to make massive progress in 45 days or they're going to shut us down and we can't run any trucks. And we had like 300 trucks on the road. And I looked at him and I was like, well, that's just a little bit of pressure, right? <laughs> kind of smiling. And he goes, yeah, but I think you can do it. Prove everybody else wrong who said you can't. And I said, you got it, bud. So I left his office and I sat down and I made a plan that day. I said, this is what I'm going to do. I spent I spent the next day, this conversation happened on a Tuesday. Wednesday, all of Tuesday and all of Wednesday, I spent going through what had happened in the audit, what needed to be fixed, what needs to be done. Because you got to remember, before this, I was a truck driver. I wasn't a DOT guy. I wasn't a safety guy. I had no idea what was required by federal regulation. I was an expert in one area, and that was truck driving. It was not DOT compliance. And uh, I still remember, man, those first couple days were grueling. I was going through everything. I was seeing what needed to be done. I was figuring it all out. I was playing with it. I was getting, I was making a plan. By the end of that week, I had a plan to move forward. And then I started setting myself goals. I said, here's my goal. Here's my goal. Here's my goal. And I gave myself a bunch of goals to meet. Okay? And then what happened was, and this is what I didn't expect to happen, is, is as I kept going, I started getting into this and I started getting really into helping people. I loved it because I knew that I'd been called to help people from day one. Well, people didn't really want to listen to me. I was, I'd already created a name of an expert and some kind of somewhat of a know-it-all and, and a couple of the guys didn't really like me. I was young, I had good knowledge, but I didn't really always handle people right. And so um, I had to overcome that. Well, I overcame that and it took a little bit, but I was able to get there. But I, I continued to work forward on my plan. I continued to make small momentum steps. Like I was getting, I was, I was making traction, but they weren't, I wasn't making huge progress. And there was a couple of things I really didn't want to do. Number one, I didn't really want to call every driver and have them come in and fill out a whole brand new employment application with me because that seemed like a crazy huge pain in the butt to do, but it had to be done. Number two, I didn't want to go to safety meetings and get in front of all these people. Now, if you see me at one of my own events, you're like, man, Dan, you're such an extrovert. You love talking. You're so friendly. You're saying hi to everybody. You're shaking their hands. You're carrying on conversations with them. There's no way you've got a problem getting in front of people at a safety meeting. Well, um, one thing that you probably don't know about me, if you've only seen me at my events or only been to my events, is that at my event, I am the center of the show. I am the star, and I know that, and I put on a good show. And I'm there to entertain you. I'm there to make it fun. I'm there to be enjoyable. I'm there to answer questions. It's my show. And I, I enjoy that credit. I enjoy that spotlight when it's on me. Now, when it's not my show, whenever I'm at somebody else's event, I don't stand up and try to outshine them. I don't, I don't try to come in and take them over. I don't try to do anything different. Right? And a matter of fact, whenever somebody calls my name out, they're like, hey, Dan Grierson here in the front. He's He can answer that question. Let's ask him. I'm like, no, don't call me out on this. Like, this is your show. Don't shine the light on me. Like, that's not what I want. That's not where I want to be. Like, I'm here to learn. I'm always up front. I'm always eager to learn. I'm always right there. But it's one of those things that's like, 
I, I, I'm way, I'm super comfortable when it's mine. I'm not comfortable when it's not mine because I don't want to steal somebody else's spotlight. So going into a safety meeting where it's not my show was not my thing, where I wasn't supposed to be the star and trying to take, trying to take time away from safety and operations and everything else that was going on. I really struggled with that. And so what I did was, was uh, I'll, I'll be real honest with you. I, I kind of want to give you this analogy now. I was going to save it till later, but I'll give it to you now. Whenever I looked at what was going on in in their world of DOT, now DOT is like, if you have a trucking company, you know what DOT is. If you if you have a company that uses trucks, you know what DOT is. If you don't, you should probably call me so we can have this conversation. But my my point is is that like as I as I looked at this, all these regulations that they had to follow that I didn't even know anything about like two weeks ago, right? As I was sitting down making this plan, it was like sitting in front of a king's buffet table, and there and it was full of food, stacked to the brim, cakes, pies, roasts, chops, prime rib, everything is on vegetables. I mean, big, giant, huge table, thirty feet long, ten feet wide, full of food. You can't even see anything except for the empty plate in front of you. And I was told I had to clean off that table, and I had. A certain amount of time to start cleaning off that table, <laughs> or I was fired. They were going to go behead me, right? I was going to have to go find a new job. And so that's kind of the way I felt, overwhelmed, right? And I had two options. I could either sit there and I could stare at that full table and I could be just overwhelmed and I could go into shock and I'd be like, how am I going to eat this? Oh my gosh, I can't do all this. There's no way I can get this company into compliance. There's no way I can do this. There's no way we can make these changes. Or I could pick up the bowl of green beans. I can move in front of me. I could throw some salt on them. And I could start grubbing down. And then I could grab the prime rib. And I could eat all that prime rib all at once. I could throw some salt and pepper on it. And I'd start with the crusty ends because I don't really love those. And then I'd then I'd move into the juicy middle stuff in the very last. Oh, it'd be so good. Nice and pink in the middle, right? And so that led to me to one of my epiphanies that I had that I actually use now in my culture-changing framework is like the first thing that I do is I sit down and I make a plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is what needs to be done. I don't sit down and I don't number it. I don't say, this is how I'm going to do it. One through six, one through 57, this is the way it's going to be done. It has to be done in this order. I go, this is what has to be done. Here's my here's my 30,000th of view. Here's what has to change. Here's what I have to do. If I don't make these changes, then guess what? We're never going to succeed, right? If I, if I don't go in and get all these driver's applications filled out, and if I don't start educating them, and if I don't start doing this, and I'll start doing that, and I don't start doing all this other stuff, and gathering all these required documents, and get access to HR files so I can extract the documents I need... If I don't do all of this stuff, right, it's never going to get better. And so my plan is, this is what I have to do. And I don't actually put it in order right now. I just make a plan like, boom, this is what I have to do. 30,000 foot view, this is what I have to do. And then the next thing I do is I dissect that plan down. I make it smaller and I kind of, I give myself some small steps to begin with to gain momentum, stuff I love doing, right? So if I'm sitting down there looking at that table and I love spinach, I'm going to grab me just a little bit of vinegar and I'm going to put it on that fresh spinach and I'm going to start eating it because it's one of my favorite things to do, right? I'm going to grab one of the things I love to do the most. If I love computer work, I'm going to start with computer work. If I love designing something new, I'm going to design something new. If I love talking to people, I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to call them and I'm going to get to know them better, right? So I made a plan. I gave myself small steps. And then what I would do is as I was starting to make momentum, I was starting to get going, I would take something I don't like, right? Like, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a food I don't really love. But uh, I'd take a food, that I'd take something I don't really love, and I'd throw it in the mix between two things that I'd love. I'd be like, oh, man, I got this big bowl of spinach, 
in this awesome quinoa sweet potato salad. And then right in the middle of it, I'm going to throw a big steaming bowl of coffee grounds. <laughs> right? Something nobody really wants to eat. But I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that quinoa salad that's sitting at the other end of it. I'm going, oh, this is going to be so good. Oh, man, I can't wait to see that. And so then I'm able to push through eating those coffee grounds as fast as I can and I get them down, right? All right. So that's that's kind of what I do and that's kind of how I work is that, is that I make a plan, right? And I gain small momentum then I throw in stuff I don't want to do in the middle of it and I kind of sandwich it between stuff that I love doing. That way it gets done and I can get through it. And then... And then my next step to changing culture is to never give up, right? So I can tell you, like, I, I hit that 45-day mark. I hit that 90 days total. It was 45 days into the position. I hit it, and I hadn't made the progress I wanted to make. I didn't hit my goal because I had set a goal to be, like, 70% compliant within 45 days. Yeah, I didn't know what I was seeing when I set that goal. 400-plus <laughs> drivers, 75% compliant. That's going to take, well, it really took me four months, but it didn't take me. It didn't take me that long, but it did take me some time, right? My my point here is is that like I kept my nose down and I kept moving forward, but I never gave up. I never gave up. And so part of what I say is always save one thing that you love to do till the very end. The thing that you love the most, save it till the very end. So for me, if I'm sitting down at a table, the thing I'm going to save, if I've got to clean up the whole table, the thing I'm not going to eat till the very last is the lemon meringue pie. I'm going to salivate over that meringue and that lemon filling and, and I'm just going to salivate over that the whole time knowing that's what's driving me to get there, knowing that's what's going to help me get to the very end. And so I created what I was going to do at the very end and I knew what that was and that was to network with people. That was to become the expert. That was my end goal. So I saved that to the very end and that was the thing that kept me kept me going, right? That was my dessert, quote unquote dessert that I saved. Right, and so I kept moving, and what happened was, was that I started educating people in the middle of this because I love to pass on knowledge. And what I found out was, is that in order to change culture, you have to educate people because in the past, the same company had tried to change their culture. They tried to become a quote-unquote safety-driven culture years before I had taken this position over, but they never actually achieved it. Now, their safety program was great. They had great people running it. There was great people in the safety program. Phenomenal people. Like, I love the people that were there. And, and they had the idea, but they couldn't get leadership to buy into this idea, right? Like, they were trying this, but leadership wouldn't buy in until I finally came in and just didn't ask leadership and did it. I did it without asking, which is probably not something to do good to do in a company, but I'm, I'm a beg for forgiveness type of guy. And so... What cracked me up was like, I went in there and I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And I just started doing it. And I started educating. I started doing education. I started sending out emails, right? And I'd send out emails to the whole company. And I'd send out emails to different leadership. And they were emails like simplifying it, making, hey, this is what this is. Hey, this is what this is. This is what a commercial vehicle is. Hey, this is what DOT stands for. Hey, this is what you need if you're operating a vehicle like this size. Hey, this is what you need if you're operating a vehicle this size. And I didn't make my emails long. I kept them short and sweet. They were less than a paragraph, right? They were nothing. And so, just wanted to just kind of like touch base on that. And as, as I started educating them, here's what happened. 
the people on the bottom of the company started to learn what was required. The people at the top of the company who were making all the good the decisions as to where the company goes, they were like, oh, crap, we need to change this, or we need to change this, or we need to change this, and this, and this. And then, before long, everybody throughout the whole pyramid, throughout the whole company, was was gaining knowledge. They were they were feeling empowered because they had knowledge on it. They were coming to me and they'd be like, hey, Dan, what do you think about this? And they'd ask me a question on something that they wanted knowledge on. And I was able to give them an answer. And they trusted that answer because I'd given them good guidance before. I'd given them knowledge. And I think that's one of the things that whenever we go to change culture that a lot of companies and a lot of people miss. And a lot of the time when we talk about changing culture, we don't talk about this, but it's the education piece of it, right? When we come in, when when a, when most companies go in to change culture, they come in and they say, just tell them to do it and they'll do it. Well, that's not the way it works. You can't just tell somebody to do something they're going to do it. Try that with a teenager. Swear to God, I have a couple of them in the house right now. If you come in and you go, Billy, you're going to clean your room. He goes, uh, no, I'm not. And you go, uh, yes, you are. Or here's the consequence. Or you say, and then, then they might clean their room, right? But they're resentful the whole time they're cleaning it. Grumbling under their breath, cleaning it the whole time, pissing and moaning, making it miserable. They're miserable. You're miserable. All of life is miserable. When you change culture in a directive manner like that, it it's the same way as trying to tell your teenager to do something. But if I come in and I go, dude, how'd you sleep last night, Billy? And he goes, dad, I didn't sleep for a crap. I don't know what's going on. I've been sleeping good for months. Oh, really? Uh, could it be because maybe your room's dirty and there's some psychological stuff there with having this crazy dirty room and you not being able to sleep and like causes pain and you don't even realize it because you're worried you're going to get up in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom and step on something on your way out the door? No, 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 that can't be it. No, I never do that. I don't, I don't worry about having to, I don't ever have to get up in the middle of the night and pee, Dad. I'm young. I'm not old like you, right? Oh, okay. Uh, sweet. Well... Yeah, okay. And then all of a sudden you start educating him why he needs to clean his room more, like why that psychological part of having a clean room is there. Same thing, you start educating people why it's so important to to be in compliance with DOT, and then all of a sudden it starts to make sense. So let me give you this example. This is a great example of it, and it's, it's one that I've used before. But um, one of the things that that it's like speeding. So in my house... My dad did a phenomenal job at educating us. Don't get me wrong. He, he taught us a lot of good stuff. But there's a few things he missed out on. One was the education of speeding. Dad said, you don't break any laws. Laws are laws. Speeding's the same as murder. And it's like, okay, Dad, I get it. But not really. <laughs> and I, to begin with, I was, you know, he put the fear of Jesus in me and I never sped. But what I found out whenever I started teaching my kids to drive and whenever I started actually coaching drivers on speeding and being better drivers is is that if I taught them why speeding was such a big deal and we uh, and we pled to their emotional side as well as their logical side so we hit every single aspect and we sold them on the idea that they can't speed then all of a sudden we're doing a million times better and they're not speeding because they don't want to speed not because they're scared to speed because they might get in trouble right so we come in and we go if you speed you're fired and what happens? People speed, they just don't tell you about it. And then they deny it when they get caught. Right? Or you go, we put tracking on our vehicle, we know when you're speeding, you can't speed. Okay, great. What happens? They still speed, they deny it, and then you they get fired, right? Because you have proof that they didn't, if you stick to your word. 
Or they call you on your bluff. They call bluff. Call your bluff. And you don't actually fire them. So um, what I started doing was I started educating people. All right. So did you know that you're like 200% times more likely to get in an accident where you speed more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit? And you're like over 80% more likely in an accident when you go 5 miles an hour over the speed limit. And if you're speeding at all, it's like 25% more likely to get into an accident. So, so is it really worth the risk of 200%, 200 times more likely to get in an accident if you're speeding, you know, going like 10 miles an hour speed limit? Are you really saving that much time? Also, think about how much you like stress it causes you when you're speeding because you're constantly watching your mirrors and you're in a hurry and everybody else is slowing you down and you're aggravated they're slowing you down and you're not getting there fast enough. And so like it's really hurting you psychologically, right? Like in your mind, like it's really tough. And you're constantly looking for cops. Like you're always worried the whole drive. So it's not a good peaceful drive. So like, did you enjoy the drive? No, not at all. Like it was super stressful, right? And so then we we start teaching about why speeding, what it causes, right? And we appeal to them personally. So when we're changing culture, we want to do the same thing. We've got to get, no matter what culture we're trying to change, whether it's a sales-driven culture, whether it's a safety-driven culture, whether it's a service-based culture, whether it's an over-deliver culture, we have to appeal to what they want to hear to them in order to get them to buy in. And we've got to teach them all about it. Like if we teach somebody that, that speeding is bad, right, and we actually give them the reasons why it's bad instead of just saying, speeding is bad, you know speed, then, then they become better and then they actually do it because they want to and they're doing it on their own will instead of doing it because they're scared when somebody does something out of fear you've you've just they're afraid they're gonna lose their job they're not doing it out of love and their passion isn't there they're not really going to care they're doing it to appease you and we've all had people who do stuff to appease us at some point in our lives before i can guarantee it guarantee it because i've seen it i've done it i've been there i've been all around it so um My my point here is is that you've you've got to use education when you're trying to change culture, and I think that that's something that ninety percent of people, even consultants that you hire, you pay them. Like I I know a company that uses they they paid something like two million dollars to this consulting group over two years to have them come in and help them change their culture. And in two years, they didn't actually complete changing their culture because they never educated the people. They came in and they go, well, you got to use a positive enforcement mentality and force them into doing it. It's like a cop, right? Cops, 90% of your cops, they do their workout fear-based, right? You don't speed because you're afraid you're going to see a cop. That's why you don't speed. That's what most people teach you. They don't teach you about the real statistics behind the accidents and where your mind's at and, and is it really worth it, right? They don't teach you that. They don't use the true education of what you need. And so what my encouragement today is, is as you go through this, as you go through wanting to change culture in a company, look at like the educational piece of it and say, okay, what do they need to know? What's the emotional side that's going to get them bought into this? And there's probably four or five different emotional things that buy in. For me, when we talk about speeding and accidents and traffic and road stuff, I always tie like families and who's at home and the percentage to get in an accident and fatalities and accidents and you know how's your family going to provide if you don't come home tonight. That's the that's the emotional side of it, right? The logical side is is the you're always scared to death. You're not actually getting there any faster. You've got to go ten hours, uh, ten hours of drive time and ten miles an hour over to save yourself a hundred minutes, which is an hour and a half. 
And did you really save yourself an hour and a half or did you burn more gas and your mileage went down and blah, 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 blah. Like did it actually cost you more to get there because it took you less time but you drove faster and ran at a higher engine RPM and higher speed and burned more gas and had to stop more for gas because you burned a whole nother tank of gas. Blah, 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 right? So my point with all this is, is like culture is not easy to change, number one. Number two is that if you want to change culture, you have to do it systematically. You can't just go in all willy-nilly and you can't do it from a command standpoint. You got to be a true leader. You have to lead it. You got to figure out how to what people's emotions, how to get them to buy in emotionally, how to get them to buy in logically. You got to understand there's two different types of people in this world. There's the emotional buyer. They buy in emotionally and there's a the logical buyer. They don't buy in until you hit them logically. And it depends on who it is, but like 90% of the world buys in emotionally. But that 10%, there's a lot of leaders in that 10% within their clans that are logicals, logical people, okay? So so just to kind of review a little bit is that you've got to make a plan, right? At 30,000 foot view, you got to get, do some stuff to get some momentum, start small, throw some stuff you don't really want to do, throw some crap in the middle of it so you don't give up, and then never give up, keep going, save some dessert, some pie in the sky for the end. Now, the last thing that I want to talk about here, well, there's two more things. The last thing on my framework is is to give credit where it's due. Now, if you're the rudder that turns a ship around, now I know you've heard me use this analogy before if you've listened to it. And if you haven't, go back and listen to the podcast on the rudder. You're going to hear it in like almost every podcast. It seems like I talk about it a lot. But if you're the rudder that's turning that ship around, you got to remember you're not the only one doing it. There's a whole bunch of people that are doing this. This is why you got to buy in from everybody because there's a wheel up top that turns linkage that turns the rudder right? And there's lots of linkage between the rudder and the wheel. It's not just like, boom, there it is. That's where it is. Go straight down to it. It's a belt and a wheel, and that's what turns the rudder. No, there's a lot of linkage that gets from point A to point B. Not only that, the rudder has to be fastened to the boat. And if you're not in line with the rudder as to where the ship wants to go, then you're just fighting it, and it's never going to turn. Like, it's going to take you forever to turn it because you're fighting it, whereas maybe you change your angle of attack just a little bit, you might go boom right into it and be right there with it. So that's my that's my my point here is that you've got to get aligned with leadership and where the company wants to go. And if I whenever I got aligned with where the leadership of the company wanted to go, it was so much easier for me to make progress as to where I was going to change the culture and to get this DOT number turned around. Um, and then the last thing you gotta do is you gotta reward yourself. You gotta save something for the very end. Because if you don't save something for the very end, if you're not saving something that you love, then guess what? You're going to really struggle to get through it all. So, Guys, that's it. It's Dan Greer with Leading from the Middle of the Pack. I really hope that you enjoyed this one. hope that you learned a lot about culture change and kind of how I did it and how my framework on it works. I know that um, mine's not always the best way, and I understand that, but I hope that you can learn to add some education into what you're doing when you're getting ready to change culture and really think about that and then not not get overwhelmed when you look at that giant table full of stuff that you have to change because I can tell you that if I would have let overwhelmness stop me whenever I moved into this I'd never be where I am today I'd never be able to stretch outside my comfort zone with starting a business running a podcast doing a nonprofit, and getting my pods license and all that stuff so hope that's it you guys have a great day see you soon later